Hello and welcome to Darker Days Radio, Darkling number 29. Uh, the Darker Days Radio Darklings are a series of sister shows which uh, we take the time to explore either specific topics with regard to the games of wor- that set in the world of darkness, or we look at other games uh, that are not produced by uh, White Wolf, CCP, or Onyx Path Publishing, and these games happen to share similar themes and concepts which we believe that our listeners would appreciate. So, Darkling number 29 is... And I will introduce Steve again, who's been uh, part of this uh, series. So, Steve, uh, Darkling29, what's it about? Okay, well, uh, hi, Chris. Uh, I'd like to welcome you to episode five of the Darker Days series um, about the Dark Ages world. Now, this is a series that me and Adrian kicked off with. Now, unfortunately, due to some personal issues, uh, Adrian's uh, looking into doing his PhD next year, I understand. Uh, he's taking a step back, and I'm going to be co-hosting this episode with Darker Days' own man of science, Chris. Excellent. Yes, um, I can totally sympathise with Adrian's position, so um, it's a shame to see him go, but you know we will continue on with what he, uh, what he and yourself have started, which has been great so far. Okay, Chris. Well, perhaps you can tell us something about your past gaming history with Dark uh, Dark Ages Vampire or Vampire of the Dark Ages. Um, okay, so uh, let's see. Vampire of the Dark Ages is what I've played, um, and I got into playing it uh, through a friend of a friend at university. Um, so I got introduced to their gaming group. Realised basically they were just a similar collection of goth geek gamers and um, got invited to play uh, Vampire the Dark Ages and we basically played through I would say the first five or six supplements that, uh, in the series for Vampire the Dark Ages um, so that includes Clash of Wills, Bitter Crusade, Under the Black Cross, uh, Fountains of Bright Crimson, Constantinople by Night, Jerusalem by Night and um, my character for that series was a um, a uh, let me get this right a French Malkavian noble known as uh, Grégoire de Morangias. So de Morangias being a noble house which is features in the film um, Brotherhood of the Wolf. So that's where the inspiration for his name came from. It was basically a a um, uh, a writer and musician, so he would he was kind of like the the bard of the group, but eventually kind of evolved to the point where he was a member of um he was a member of the Church of Cain. Uh, he would write sigils that would drive people mad, and you know he would bite his own wrist and then spit up the blood and start reading um, the future from it, as well as sometimes magnificently failing at being stealthy and then sometimes succeeding at the most ridiculous things at being stealthy. Um, yeah, that was about it, really. So it's fair to say you have a wide history with uh, this game line. Yeah, I mean, we had a Cappadocian in the group, we had a, a Viking Gangrel in the group, we had a, uh, a Ventru Greek uh, you know, Constantinople, Knight. Uh, I think there was a... 
what, what's the offshoot of the Gangrel who were um, all Celtic style? That's the Fianna? No, I can't, I can't remember no, the name. No, that's a werewolf tribe. That's a friend. werewolf uh, tribe, yeah. It's, um, I, anyway, um, uh, so yeah, there was quite a diverse uh, selection of characters in there as well. Um, and I think eventually, like my character and and the Greek and the Greek Ventru ended up owning some land in uh, the in like in the Veneto, and so our characters were like whenever for the the downtime years between parts of the Chronicle, it was assumed that our characters just buggered off back to Venice um, <laughs> and just had fun. Okay, cool. So. Uh, tonight we're going to be talking about how to run a game of Dark Ages for your group and basically trying to help storytellers in trying to get groups off the ground or existing storytellers tell something that's a bit more uh, in theme of what they want to portray to their group. Now, uh, both Adrian and you yourself have spoken in the past about playing quite long-winded games where you play over quite a, a, a long period of time. And this poses the kind of first question uh, about preparing your group for your story where you want to tell a vast sweeping narrative or do you want to come at things and say okay then well I'm going to come to you with uh, maybe one or two night kind of flashback in an existing say Vampire the Masquerade kind of chronicle uh, Chris you've obviously played this game over a kind of a sweeping uh, kind of a campaign what would you say that the benefits of doing that are in this setting oh um I don't, it's really difficult. I think the benefit is obviously, um, you know, the Dark Ages and that period of time, there is quite a vast difference between different parts of the world. So, um, whereas in modern nights, you know, you could almost say we live in a, a monoculture, almost to a certain extent. You know, there's a McDonald's on every street corner, whether it's on, whether you're in, in like somewhere in Italy or, or somewhere in Tokyo, or then somewhere in America. Yeah. Whereas the Dark Ages, yeah. you don't have that. The, monoc- the only thing that's close to being a monoculture is the fact that the church is there. And mm-hmm. that's the unifying thing. And everything else can be quite vastly different. I mean, you could be... Either you could be in... Uh, you, could, you could have a setting where you've taken the United Kingdom, which wouldn't be the United Kingdom, uh, and, you know, it's very, um, I would say very, uh, it, it's a less advanced part of that world, whereas if you compare that to, say, Venice, Venice at that time was pretty much, uh, you know, a cultural, scientific, economic powerhouse. And then if you want to look at somewhere completely different, you can look at Lithuania. Lithuania, I think it's Lithuania, uh, during the Dark Ages, was one of the last pagan like kingdoms, and you had, a, and so they openly had worship to pagan gods, and that again strikes such a a contrast to what is largely a, a, you know, a bunch of Christian kingdoms. So, you know, there's a lot there's a lot there you can play with, but that can make it very difficult because if you can go with the kitchen sink approach and let your characters wander far and wide, which is kind of like the game I was participating in, our uh, coterie was known as the Itinerant Company, because we really couldn't think of another name to call them. But then, if you really want to put... And that may require a lot of work, because obviously you want to research 
a little bit about each place they're visiting and kind of you know highlight what's interesting about those places or you could go and focus on just one city or one country and look at the very specifics of living there so i would say you know based upon what i've read and written for my own changeling games i could take that work and go right i'm going to run vampire the dark ages venice and to me it'd be a no-brainer Um, well, one of the things that uh, I was thinking about this week when before we were recording this podcast is uh, pitching the idea to your group before you begin and being upfront with them about what you want to do. This idea that um, you know your players are going to have to spend a lot of real-world time investing in your game and to come to them and say, I want to play something that's quite epic and say you take the uh the, the modules that you talked about in your mm. your uh, uh introduction yeah um there are several modules there that if you were to play them back to back would be several gaming sessions oh yeah uh, yeah yeah so uh without much work storytellers can uh, put into or put out to a group quite a, a long-winded thing by just merely picking up the pdfs that are available from drive through rpg uh, of the Dark Ages lines, and you've had some experience with this, but basically pitching them to the group. Um, have you ever played um, with Vampire the Dark Ages or Dark Ages Vampire uh, flashback thing games? Um, no, but it's it's something it's something I I'm I'm toying with for doing for my own um, for my own Requiem game is doing a flashback at some point, but that's more of kind of a way of featuring how different eras are but i would say i would say doing a flashback is really uh quite feasible because then you know, you don't have to invest too much work in in maybe experimenting with setting mm. Mm. well um uh, my experience with flashbacks in the game uh, especially for interesting one or two night stands to give your players a kind of break from mm. long-winded characters or long-standing characters. I mean, even the most up-for-it player can lose their, their enthusiasm for your game at some point. Yeah. And so spicing your chronicle up with uh, the ability to play somebody else for a bit um, and perhaps buying into the, you know, the, uh, they talked about in the old World of Darkness, uh, a troop-style play where characters uh, would make characters for their ghouls and yes, yeah. uh, other related uh, uh, people to give them a much more of a, uh, a soap opera kind of feel. Now, I think that works great for long-winded campaigns, but for a, a short one-night stand, that's not going to work so well for you, is it? Mm. I think uh, I think it'd be it'd be kind of cool. And this is my idea: is like you could do the flashbacks where you could play as your character's kind of like uh, grandsire, or or simply you know you you can look at your own your own current say modern night setting, and if you work out which characters might have been in that area or related to those characters. Uh, you know the NPCs of your setting, and uh, and either themselves or other related characters that were in that place in nights gone by, and then have your players play as those NPCs because they suddenly get a bit more investment in the characters that they're interacting with in your setting, and it just kind of it just makes the setting deeper, and and that requires though your players to kind of be to buy into the thing of like you know you are going to be playing as one of your the NPCs in our game, but this is just so that you can experience 
uh, the game and the setting in a way that you would not normally have access to. Hmm. Uh, very much so. Um, something that I'm toying with in my current uh, V20 game, um, the group wants to have a look at the, the darker side of the uh, modern setting and play Sabbat Vampires. Mm. Now, the, the, now, my big kind of uh, figurehead vampire, I'm going to use a shimizy called Vorshaza, which has been the kind of a big bad in my current Pittsburgh campaign. Okay. And use a flashback uh, uh, for this character to show how inhuman they are by starting off and showing the mortal for Shazer as being uh, a woman rather than uh, as being betrayed by the current character as being a man. Much much the same way that uh, Mika and Sasha Vykos, if you remember yeah, those. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, that's to reinforce the inhumanity of that character and show how over, say, a thousand years of existence, it has become something more than human. Um, and that's something that I really want to get across to my group and look at elders, perhaps when they were much more reckless and acting more like the group were, and then see them a thousand years in the future if they survive um, and show how it it's made them so cautious and buy into the jihad, even if they are in the Sabbat or the Camarilla. Hmm. Um, I think other, other ways you can do things is obviously, um, if you want to, if you want to just test the waters with your players playing in the dark ages is have some pre-generated characters. You know, again, the, the idea that you, you kind of like cover most of the archetypes, you put the dots there, you put enough background to make the character playable and, and that the group, the group of characters that you make for the, your players is playable, but also you leave enough, enough creative license for your players to, uh, to have, you know, to, to really get into the character and play it the way they want to for that one shot. Um, and, you know, that works for any yeah, one shot. Yeah. I mean, it can be something really as, as simple as, as, uh, Oh, what could you do? Oh, no, there's a really good story you could do. Um, one of the stories we did in, uh, in the one, in the game I played, our characters went to a, uh, a carnival, um, that had set up shop outside some village, and there were like rumors of people going missing, so obviously our characters were invested with trying to find out why, because this is really bad, you know, we don't want, you know, humans to realize there's vampires and start killing us. And, you can really get into like the kind of like the old school, um, you know, the, the the folklore of the time. You can highlight that and the difference of morality with how they would have treated like the freaks and weirdos of the time. And um, you can really get then also into like how a, a carnival a carnival is really fun because then you can look at like pagan folklore and how that gets hidden in amongst all the Christian uh, law and you know they. How that's presented, and it's you, know, you can do something very simple as investigation like that, and eventually finding out that the killer is some, you know, nefarious vampire with some other, uh, you know, alter- ulterior motive. But you know, it's something something nice and compact, and really gets across the atmosphere of the setting without having to have lots and lots of politics and needing to know the ins and outs of like the the setting of that time. Hmm. Mm. Uh, whereas um, perhaps it's your responsibility as a storyteller to slowly introduce all that uh, back 
backdrop mm. as the game goes on to educate your players because <clears throat> that leads on to my next kind of question is basically how would you approach Dark Ages with a group that have never played World of Darkness before? <laughs> perhaps people who are based out of a, a D&D background or perhaps if you're from the UK and you're big into uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, which I know is massive over there at the minute. What, you know, how would you do that? Is it, Are you going to approach it with a, okay, it's D&D with fangs or are you going to say, well... No, I'm going to perhaps start it like that, but then educate you as we go along. Oh, I yeah, that's that's difficult. I mean, I, to say it was D&D with fangs, I don't think is quite. Yeah, it's obviously not the way I would approach it. I would say, I would actually reference a particular film, so like Kingdom of Heaven or uh, or hell, uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. <laughs> if you want to go with something just to yep. kind of get the, the the atmosphere right and go, right, imagine that and that in the shadows there are the vampires manipulating them, manipulating people, manipulating the church, and they don't want to be found out because they're quite happy being the lords of the night that they are. And you're those vampires. I think that's a, enough. I think I think to reference another game and say, but with fangs or something, I think sets up the wrong sort of expectation. I couldn't agree with you more. Though. Except for except for maybe Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, because Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay has has an advantage in that it's an extrapolation of the re- of of uh, Renaissance times. At least the Empire is in that in that game, and yeah. it's very Renaissance Germanic. And I think you could you could basically go take the Empire, remove all the craziness of every other supernatural race there and the curse gods and all that type of stuff and he, and leave the gritty harshness of that setting and everyone be like okay yeah then add back in vampires but they're like this rather than the vampires already in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay and I think you can make that that that's a justified comparison well I'm glad that you brought up uh, Robin Hood Prince of Thieves because that's one of the uh, the kind of uh, movies that I wanted to talk about uh, during this kind of storyteller advice section is it is perhaps uh, a, uh, an imagination of what the Dark Ages world was like, perhaps thinking from a 20th century point of view. Now, remember that your players are always going to be coming at all problems from a modern understanding of at least the rudiments in science, geography, world history, you know, um, in the Dark Ages world, your 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 your, your NPCs or your uh, your PCs really shouldn't be acting like this. But does it really matter? Because sometimes, perhaps telling a story that's perhaps uh, uh, fun-driven rather than history-driven, which is something we talked about just before the podcast, isn't it, Chris? That this this idea of uh, pitching a game to your players that is it's kind of the medieval world. But if you start hitting books, you're going to be starting poking holes in what I'm saying. But let's not really look at the the history as being. Let's all go out and get a doctorate, <laughs> yeah, and become, yeah, you know, uh, 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 world renowned uh, authorities on this subject. Because let's face it, we're doing it for fun. Yeah, if your, group, th- wants, if your group wants to do that, it's great. I know that you're a big advocate of really hitting the books hard and, and teasing <laughs> out all the the historical madness but that's a lot of work wouldn't you agree it is a lot of work i think if you've got the storyteller that's willing to put in the work to begin with to research the setting that they're doing and like my storyteller for for dark for uh, dark ages was that type of storyteller as in he had the books he had 
and we were looking at historical maps of the time and you know and also you know i i'd been then to venice uh i think as well partway through that game and so obviously brought back a certain kind of view of of the setting for that and i think if you want the historical accuracy but you don't want to tread on anyone's toes because obviously the gm the storyteller at the end is trying to tell a story and you don't want to have like oh well that's historically incorrect you know get on with the game get on with the fun but that shouldn't stop if players want to get involved in going well it, it was actually like this and it's like okay we'll remember that for next time because you can all collaborate together to ensure that your game is more historically correct if you want that if it's not important to the details of the actual story the drama that is being played out and the drama is the key thing then just let it fly just get on with the game you can always retcon things like i retcon things in my own write-ups for my own games if i go shit that that details was completely bollocks i'll just retcon it and tell the players next week that actually it was like that you don't mind no nah, let's go on the game so yeah basically i couldn't agree more that uh, going to your group and, and uh, speaking to them again and pitching your ideas and, and coming back with a dialogue is exactly what you need to do um and I, as you still, said, like, I was going to say, I would still say, to a degree, players should at least research a little bit about where their characters come from, because certain things will be relevant, like uh, the languages characters speak, and mm-hmm. and just and and the type and the type of re- the the flavor of religion that they may practice, because the Dark Ages was filled with heretical cults and there's enough variation between Catholicism at one end of of the uh, of of Europe to Catholicism or and Christianity at another end and people may think oh well there's 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 east there's eastern orthodox and there's and there's catholics and there's protestants in uh, in the modern nights you know there's many flavors of christianity and there were so many schisms that you know it's kind of sometimes cool worth to, worth to go. Oh, they would have thought this. That's kind of fun to play because that just adds a little bit more to the in-game character kind of into into character talking that can go on. So, for example, uh, my one friend in this in the group was playing a Cappadocian, and of course I was playing this Frenchman, and we had we had and so whenever there was a quiet point where we weren't involved in the main plot, we would kind of have in-character discussions about philosophy that our characters had because mm-hmm. we we had we we were we shared some of the same things but then also didn't share some of the other things but ultimately agreed that we knew better than the rest of the other characters in the coterie so we were kind of like the bard and we were the bard and the necromancer talking about philosophy of death and god whereas we had the barbarian and the pagan and the and the knight and going oh they're a bunch of fools <laughs> well, well, that's 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 an interesting segue into the uh, the next kind of question I wanted to pitch to you. It's basically m- managing your player choices. Um, as you oh. said, uh, in your group, you had a wide variety of characters there. I mean, in the Dark Ages, you could um, quite feasibly have perhaps a player who comes to you and says, "I want to play a Tremere," and then somebody else comes to you and say, "I want to play a Salubri." And how's that going to go down well? Yeah. In a vast sweeping epic that you want everybody to go away and do vast amounts of research with. Um, now I know that the last time we did a uh, uh, a, 
a chronicle design uh, darkling we brief uh, we we talked about this with sam and james didn't we yeah uh, managing your player choices is, is something that's very uh very much in the hands of the storyteller uh but always saying that if your player comes to you with a really good idea perhaps looking at things in a new light to allow a player perhaps room to grow as a role player is always an interesting idea as well isn't it Mm. Uh, you've got to sometimes massage these these issues a bit. I mean, for Christ's sake, we, as I said, we had a we had the we had like a pagan vampire in the group, and all the other characters were essentially you know worshipped God under a particular guise. I mean, obviously, you've got a church came person, you've got a Cappadocian, you've got a Ventru from Constantinople, and you've got a Viking. So you know. There were moments when you would have the pagan vampire go off and summon a spirit. And they, I think he summoned a bloody tree spirit or something at some point. And pretty much he's just got all the other characters sat around going, what's, what's going on? I mean, from the setting material in the books, it's almost like, oh, if you see that, if one group sees another one, it's like, you know, death on sight. But because of the way we were playing this itinerant company, the whole point was the itinerant company travelled around because... A, it worked for them, and B, well, if they if they if they're willing to travel around, they're willing to put up with a few weird things. Well, we, we're essentially the liberals of the time. <laughs> well, but again, that's a very twentieth century uh, way of looking at things, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I mean, uh, one thing that instantly sprung to, uh, sorry, sprang to mind when uh, you were describing your, your coterie then is, um, you, you were basically saying how, uh, you had a, a Byzantine, uh, vampire in, um, in a, say, uh, the same coterie as, say, a French, uh, vampire. Now, Eastern Orthodoxy and Western kind of, like you said, Catholicism has some major uh, schisms in their belief in what's going on. So it can lead to some interesting character conversation, like you said. It'd be interesting to be a fly on the wall in some of the old philosophical debates there, that if you're exploring those kind of things, uh, that basically that Christianity isn't so much of a, as a live and let live kind of religion as it used, as it is today mm. um back in, you know um so like you're saying about the uh, the Canaanite heresy there are also other heresies that are merely mortal heresies like gnosticism and things like this that were kind of stamped out by the church yeah bogomils and cathars and yeah <laughs> there's a lot so again uh, even uh, your your players uh, choice of characters religion or how they view god is an interesting thing that needs to be thought of at this time because there's in the dark ages a whole host of new questions that really need to be thought of perhaps in a modern game thinking of things like how computer savvy your uh, your character is is a big deal say in the dark ages setting basically having linguistics one latin may be one of the most beneficial things that your character <laughs> yeah. has. I think pretty much every single vampire in Vampire the Dark Ages knows Latin to an extent so they can speak to everyone else. So another thing uh, to do with character choices um, and things that would make uh, gaming gameplay for the group interesting, of course, like um, is also ethnic groups at the time, because obviously, again, it's not quite a monoculture yet. Um, so, you know, there's very different different choices to play, and it's just a case of, like, carefully massaging all these things together to make a player group that works. 
this is one of the things that I wanted to bring up that in the bookend of uh, the first Dark Ages uh, uh, podcast that we put out. Um, you and uh, Mike were talking about uh, Vampire the Dark Ages and talking about some of the, uh, the, the, the supplements that were released for that that seemed a bit weird. Things like um, Walls of the Sea and uh, Winds from the East and things like this. Now, it may seem like they're very um, whimsical choices, but when you think about it from a perhaps a historical point of view, that looking at thing, uh, cultural groups like the Vikings or the uh, the, uh, the Mongols, that remember the Mongols uh, pushed all the way as far as like po- uh, Poland and Hungary, and uh, things like the especially in say the the British Isles. Uh, as you know yourself, you're from the from the UK. That Viking influence here is massive. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, you know, um, there was an entire vi- uh, Viking kingdom in the UK, wasn't it? And um, based out of York, wasn't it? Jorvik, I believe it was. Called. Yeah. Well, that's um, the Jorvik Centre. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, now, uh, so uh, perhaps if you're going to set something in the UK that's quite interesting, like that, that's perhaps you look at, say, the Saxon vampires and the Nordic vampires. That's perhaps the, uh, the the Saxon Ventru and the Gangrel uh, Nordics, which is I know very stereotypical, but that book let, let, lends you quite a lot of wealth of information to flesh out those Gangrels to make them seem more real yeah. culturally, rather than rather than okay, well they're they're Vikings and they've all got horn helmets, they get drunk every night and they are rape and pillage, yay! Well, that's not quite. You can be quite diverse as well. I think I don't know whether you saw this on the news as well. I think it was in I think it was in York that they actually have um, evidence of his, uh, you know archaeological evidence of uh, from the Roman times of uh, you know uh, you know black you know Ara- African descent uh, people living there who weren't and everyone goes oh well they must have been there and this is Roman times okay. So York also was a Roman city, and uh, you know people's. When you say that, some people and I've come. This came up in conversation, like when I was on a conference. Someone goes, some American guy. I hate to say Americans, but this was this was just something I had to slap down. He goes, well, obviously you, they were the slaves of the Romans. It's like actually no. This just shows how you know you can actually have quite a lot. You can still even in these historical times have quite a lot of cultural diversity, and you know. What we may have thought about why different ethnic groups were where, were where they were, or, or when you see them, is not actually due to some of these kind of quite actually relatively modern ideas about slavery and everything. You know, because sla- the slavery type thing is um, is more of a Tudor thing. So yeah, you you yeah, can I, equally I know, have a you can you can have you can basically be quite you can there's quite a lot of room to have quite a lot of ethnic diversity with your characters or even and even gender diversity with your characters and you know if you you shouldn't feel like for a good for for what you want to play and to have a good story that his history as it's been written or history as it's been misconstrued should limit you on how you want to play the game. Definitely not. Definitely not. I couldn't agree more with that. But also, um, as you were saying, like looking at things from a wider sp- uh, perspective, that just because there's no historical evidence to say that somebody from Africa yeah. didn't travel all the way to London is preposterous. 
because it's not like those worlds are so wildly disconnected, like, say, Native Americans. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, you know, you know uh, that, that, that would be a, a massive leap of faith for me. But someone, say, from North Africa traveling all the way, say, through Spain, then France, then into England, up into Pictish, kind of Scotland, and then into uh, Norway. Why not? The, Why the not? Romans did it and quite happily. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And um, that's another thing that I think I wanted to talk about, perhaps on a, a general basis, just for storytellers is don't forget that just because you're playing in the Dark Ages, uh, people are not stupid. They may be illiterate, but they are wise in the ways of the world. And uh, like uh, something that we were talking about just before we were recording, wasn't it, Chris? About yeah. the very kind of n- nature of things like, say, like Exalted, which is a, a high fantasy setting. You still need basic skills like hunting or foraging to get by because it's not like you can just pop down to your local 7-Eleven or Sainsbury's and pick up your groceries and your milk. Because even if you're a vampire, you've got uh, obviously a... Uh, some connection with the world be it uh, your ghouls are need to feed or your herd is in need of feeding you know these are very real ideas that um things from a 20th century point of view need to be kind of left behind if you yeah. buy into that perception and allowing your players to do that is, is something that's hard to get across for a for a, a storyteller would you agree um yeah i think it's like it's it's worth reinforcing these points in a game just mm. so that the players realise in some respects how much harder their life is, but also how much easier because vampires can literally get away with murder in the Dark Ages setting far easier than they can mm. in a modern day setting. There's no such thing as you know, forensic sciences is pretty much non-existent it's whoever's got the, the whoever's got the dagger with the blood on it is obviously the killer yes but then in the but dark vamp- ages, oh yeah um, you can also yeah you can also argue the toss that um perhaps that um if that that uh, uh ire is then raised if you are unfortunate to uh, unfortunate enough to, to get caught with a bloody dagger normally society is quite happy for brutal things to happen to you quite quickly and be done with it Mm. so if they decide that you are a vampire because there's some mortal preaching from the pulpit that you know you're the evil lord on the manor you know you're somehow cursed and all the rest of this kind of business that once they turn up with the pitchforks and you know the blazing torches they're not going to be very understanding and saying hey you know you know um like uh, explaining things away with science because these are people of uh, mythology, people that buy into the idea that out in the wilderness there are things like fae, werewolves, vampires. These are very real things. Um, it's actually quite interesting they... that you bring this up because because um, when you say that people are quick, can be quick to anger and quick to being shown, oh, he's obviously a monster, and quick mm. to go to these conclusions, it actually shows you how in the Dark Ages setting, Many of the, the, the disciplines available, many of the powers available to a vampire are actually really critical to survival because you don't have the, the, the 20th century cultural, uh, 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 cult, culture and morals and, and infrastructure to defend yourself. So like normally if you're a vampire and you, 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 uh, 
you know, you've you've killed someone and you've not had time to to clear up your evidence. You know, you can make use of well, I'll, I'll bribe him, and I'll I'll get into the morgue and I'll I'll deal with it. And I'll, or I know someone that has access to the files and you know we'll do that. Or I can I know someone that I can or I can like hack into the computers and do that. You know, you can make use of the mortal world to clear up your mess quite easily. And you really wouldn't even need to turn to many of your powers to do that. Whereas if a bunch of mortals get together and want to, to you know, uh, pick up their pitchforks and have their flaming torches and go in after you, you can't really go fall back on the police or, or anything else for, for that kind of support. You actually go, shit, I think I'm going to have to use majesty here. And so, if anything, disciplines are more important. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, and one thing that uh, you guys, that uh, you and Mike did, that was very interesting uh, a while back on the Darker Day show, is talk about Ashen Cults. Okay, yeah. Uh, um, building yourself up as uh, a cult where you uh, present yourself, especially if you buy into this Knight heresy uh, idea. Now, and one thing I wanted to also just uh, talk about in this storyteller uh, uh, advice section is um, perhaps taking um, uh, misconceptions about the Dark Ages world and turning them slightly on their head and saying, okay, they're all, are all barley evil. Okay. Mm. Um, yeah, 99.9999% of them, yes. But perhaps there's just one of them that's wanting to be different. Perhaps. Now, let's say you take somebody that uh, very much believes that they are a Cainite heresist. They believe that they are somebody ordained by God. But then they preach that to people, but then reinforce that with miracles, i.e. the use of disciplines mm-hmm. or feeding of vitae. You know, it's um, uh, and then, um, you know, things like transubstantiation, you know, that the idea, that Catholic idea that... Um, uh, and when you go for uh, the Eucharist, that yeah. taking the, the the wine and the little wafer, it literally turns into the blood and the body of Christ, transubstantiation. But what's to say, OK, well, no, I'm so holy that there's no need for transubstantiation. It's already blood. And you, you take this sacrament and buying into this and mortals um, uh, uh, buying into this in, in a bigger way uh, than, than, say, in the modern world, that people would be like, whoa, this is a cult. Mm-hmm. You know, we've read all about this on the Internet. I've seen this on, you know, 60 Minutes. I know about cults. Uh, they're all Scientologists. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, whereas in the Dark Ages world, people really wouldn't buy into the idea of cults, I don't understand. I, I don't believe, unless they were really high up in the papacy. Yeah. Um, but again, that's another interesting thing. That um, If you've got somebody in your group that wants to pull in one way, that wants to uh, subvert the the mortal world into believing the vampires are great, and then you have somebody else that's perhaps a member of the church and wants to hide and use the mortal, you know, the church to hide all these things. That's a, another interesting twist on things, mm. rather than using the church to augment your power. Yeah. Um. Um. But 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 this is again looking at the Dark Ages world, um, not through 20th century eyes, because it's very easy, I think, in, in in modern days that many people that you talk to when you speak, especially about religion, they're not particularly religious. And, I think um, I was going to say something interesting on that about religion, and and uh, it gives you a kind of interesting reason to look at stuff and gain a perspective on it. Is also um, you know when you look at stuff to do with like Constantinople by night and Jerusalem by night and everything. Um, historically speaking, um, Islam at that time is, is very young. It's a very young, it's technically a very young 
religion. Many of the many of the uh, you know Muhammad and you know his his own followers and own children that you know go on to create many of the different uh, sects of of that form Islam. You know are actually you know historical figures as in they've only died in the last you know, 100 years, 200 years, or maybe even still alive, and it makes it kind of, it would make those type of characters really interesting to play, you know, just because their religion is so new and new to the world. Well, again, that's uh, something else I wanted to talk about. That um, uh, Now, both uh, Mike and Adrian have talked about podcasts that are available out there that are historical kind of based like uh, Mike talked about the 12 Byzantine emperors yeah and um, Adrian uh, uh, turned me on to a Yale University kind of uh, lecture about the Middle Ages which is really what we're talking about guys uh, the Dark Ages historically um, there is no Dark Ages it's really what we're talking about is the Middle Ages mm. now uh, these are two um, uh, podcasts about this era that basically spans about a thousand years now, that was a bit of a, uh, an awakening to me because I always thought the Dark Ages was, you know, about five or six hundred years of European history that went from A to B. And you realize that, no, it's not just that. It's much more about the fall of Rome, the rise of Constantinople, the fall of Constantinople. And like say, the burgeoning of new religions like Islam. Mm. But the games, the game line sometimes lead you into an idea that it's 1260 and, and uh, this is the world. Well, you could actually take that world and put it at any time, as long as you're willing to uh, do a little bit of background reading. Like you say, um, if you want the uh, Islam to rise a bit quicker, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, as long as your group's happy with that, um, mm. that, which ties back into the idea of mutating history and um, looking at a wider scope that things like Rome – um, the Greek kind of world, the Persian world, still having a, 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 an influence on this world that, like we were talking about before, people being able to talk Latin and Greek straight off the bat is universal languages, far more so than any local dialect, like say perhaps Saxon. Um, well, yeah, because I was going to say in um, in France they had at least about three or four different languages there. Um, the same with Spain. You can't just say everyone speaks Spanish. There, there's the Spanish, and then there's Catalonian. So yeah, but but from an an, an Arabic point of view, being able to speak um, uh, Arabic, you know, literally is the unifying thing for them. In the same mm. way that Latin is the unifying thing of the Christian Church. So again, being able to understand this uh, this this new thing and, and uh, like you were saying about the, the cultural differences. That remember that. Uh, Muslims at this time or the Arabian world are, shall we say, more advanced scientifically than the Christian counterparts. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. They, ha they have a wider understanding of what we would consider modern mathematics, things like modern medicine and things like this. That are merely, you know, they, they're, they are hundreds of years away in, in, um, in the, uh, uh, the Christian world that allow you to bring cultural differences that are quite amazing uh, that your players can run through. Now, uh, one thing that uh, one of my players did back in the day is look at his uh, Asmite character and wanted to move away from the idea that he was just basically a dervish 
or this mm-hmm. idea of he's a, a Moor that's out there and basically chopping off heads with a Saracen sword and diabolizing everyone. Now, again, he he looked at movies like uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. If you remember Samuel L. Jackson's character in that, um, he's very different to the, the, the Christians there, but manages to form a kind of easy piece with them and show them things like, um, if you remember, there's a scene with Kevin Costner and Samuel uh, sorry, um, Morgan, Morgan Freeman. Freeman. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, yes. Robin Whoa, that's a big mistake there. Whoa, yeah, anybody can call me up on that. Sorry. Uh, it's cool, it's totally cool. I just had a silly, just sort of, <laughs> just sort of like Samuel Jackson do, going off on some foul mouth diatribe against against the sheriff of Nottingham. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Anyway, Morgan Freeman, yeah, because his character was, um, you could almost say, was yeah, a warrior, but was also kind of more like um, he also had knowledge of what would it? Scholarly, yeah, yeah. He was yeah, a solid yeah. chemist. He was an alchemist. I mean, that's where the word alchemy yeah. comes from. It's a, it's an Arabic term. Exactly. Now, this idea that um, uh, in that same movie, uh, he pulls out what is basically a um, a telescope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And looks, at, look, looks, and then hands it to Kevin Costner, and Kevin Costner's like, "Whoa!" Draws his sword and starts swinging around. That's a very Big, interesting far idea. away. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, but then yeah, yeah, yeah. But then this is a very kind of uh, way of looking at things. Also, in say that movie, um, Kingdom of Heaven. Towards the end in the, uh, the the battle for Jerusalem, they go out and they they mark out things and paint white rocks for the range of their catapults. Mm. That guy's a blacksmith. Um, now, really, would he have a lot of understanding of those things? I don't think so. But from a 20th century point of view, that makes for a very interesting part of the movie that your players can still do and base it in some kind of idea that, you know, hey – I'm an Asamite, and I'd understand things like trigonometry and ranges and things like that far more than any of these other Christian dudes. So me going out and doing all these things would seem weird. Bits of knotted rope and uh, calculating things in strange Arabic numbers that weren't like the Latin numerals that you'd be using. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you'd be like, what the hell is this? Yeah, I mean, that actually something. makes for a really interesting, like... Asamite assassin is one that's like just a, a full-on kind of like scientist assassin who's just like yes these yeah. people are dead but it's because I've used the power of science which we've rescued from Rome because all you crazy Catholics have just let all that knowledge disappear. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. And you say that we're the uh, the uh, the um, the closed-minded ones. We're the yeah. ones who are, are, are open to new ideas. Oh, okay. But then again, that's looking at what kind of uh, pitch you want to p- come to your players, which is again part of preparing your group. Now, um, we talked about um, flashbacks in uh, Dark Ages and uh, the use of them, but also what we're looking at here is um, parallel stories. Now, have you ever run anything where you've run in different systems, uh, games that run literally in tandem to uh, perhaps open new vignettes of understanding into characters. Um, give me an example and I'll tell you if I have. <laughs> oh, okay, then perhaps say like in my Sabbat uh, upcoming thing, I want to kick things off for my group uh, for the Shimizy vampire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Vosche's like I've talked of being a woman. Now, um, I'm going to use a piece of music by a band called Wumps Cut. Uh, okay, yeah. It's called the Breath of Barbs. Yes. Yeah, okay. Well, I use Reliquy to design a an actual wreath of barbs that my group has been chasing around in Pittsburgh. 
uh, Vorsese's whole understanding and uh, reason for going to Pittsburgh is to tie into this, this item. Now, I'm going to kick off uh, the, the Sabbat game with a remix of that that is played on like mandolins and is sung by a woman because I want Vorsese to be like this to begin with. And then later on in the same Sabbat thing, I'm going to play in the modern setting, the full on oh, yeah. industrial hardcore version that's sung by a man. But it's still the same lyrics, the same words, but just different to, to, to reinforce that sense of um, difference and allow your group to understand why they are so different. Yeah. Um, also, also in my uh, Pittsburgh uh, campaign, uh, as I spoke about in the Chronicle Design thing, I had um, two, two elders of war, Faith and Hope. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the group as a whole wanted to follow uh, Faith, but not all the group wanted to do this. Some were quite interested in throwing their lot in with Hope. But what I decided to do is, outside of the normal game time on a Saturday night, is run a, uh, for those who wanted to come along, a kind of spin-off to explore uh, okay. what, what Hope was doing to show that, oh, well, how did they know that we were going to be here? Yeah. That Saturday night, I run something else that then they are then part of the investigation. So they 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 find out because they did it, and it's something that's run in parallel. Have you ever done anything like that? I haven't done that, but it's something I definitely well I have and I haven't. So for my vampire setting, I would like to run a game where the characters are mainly auto Dracul, just to give different perspective to the setting, and so they see. Mm-hmm key plot points occur from the other side of the mirror, really. And then the other way in which my uh, things have have worked in parallel is that I have run... um, So I've run, like, my vampire setting. Um, I ran, like... So so season... What was season one of Vampire? I've run twice. Because I ran it for one gaming group, then I ran it for another, which involved my wife, and now we're on to season two, finally. But in between... The re the first time I ran it and the rerun. I also got to run the first few stories of my mage setting, and there are plot points which are shared. And so I had one player go, "Ah oh, shit, it's that!" And like, because he had played in the vampire game, and it was just that moment of like the player going, "Wow, okay, now I know the setting a bit more, and that's great." But I can now play it. I can play the game knowing that but also make it more fun because I know that in that, uh, you know, you just, you, you play with the setting, not against it with that knowledge. Mm. It's really good to do that. Yeah, Definitely, you're right. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I think it's a very uh, interesting way of uh, approaching characters that are perhaps not having a lot of uh, fleshing out, but you still want to be part of your main narrative. So your group gets the gravitas of, different parts of uh, the game so they understand what you're trying to get across to them because sometimes you know when you write your let's say for your venice thing uh, mm. perhaps uh, i don't know if you've recounted this but uh when i ran for the first time the chicago chronicles for the old world of darkness mm-hmm. i really wanted to get this idea across that loading's brood was kind of at war with each other because there's a new brood and an old brood most of my players didn't get it because I'd read the book. They hadn't. I didn't get it across to them in, a, in enough sense that they understood what I had by reading the book. Mm. Um, running these different things allows you to do that, that uh, uh, then fleshes out that character in a tangential way 
that gives more depth to the character and especially when the group can come back and say ah well you know uh, especially if there's something like Malkavians or visionary characters that you do it as a flashbacks part uh, for them that then then reiterate to the group I've seen this Mm. Uh, I've done this Um, uh, one one thing that again that the power of faith allows you in the dark ages to, to tap into characters that believe they are essentially very holy, that they have visions that are sent by, you know, I use quote unquote things here, you know, God or saints or uh, different manifestations of whatever faith you decide they're going to follow uh, to do things that they are being manipulated by. Like um, Methuselah's now, uh, you talked a bit before about Constantinople, uh, Constantinople by night. Now, Mikhail, the Toreador there, sets himself as the uh, arch- uh, angel of Michael, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, and uses his power to reinforce that. Well, what's to say that other Methuselahs aren't doing that and using you and your group as foils um, and that you could explore tangential bits and pieces uh, to, to give depth to your world mm. which is hard sometimes would you agree uh yeah i mean i think sometimes this is it if you can get the group to work right you can do that if the players have a certain amount of built-in antagonism so mm-hmm. okay using using my uh using my um let me see. <laughs> my brain's just gone uh, melted. Okay, using my Venice setting, most of the characters mm-hmm. in that in in that co- uh, in that coterie in that motley uh, of changelings were mm-hmm. autumn courtiers, and my okay. wife's character was a spring courtier, and most of the the autumn courtier players hated a particular NPC, and sometimes it was kind of like. I, I even thought, as just taking a step back, not being the storyteller, I was like, why the hell are you hating him? I can't see what he's done other than being a bit too suave and a bit too bit too sure of himself and everything. And so the cool thing was that because Sam was playing this spring courtier, she, her character would go off and do stuff with the spring court, and it meant everyone could see it from the other side of of, of, yeah. of that character. And, you know, her character got on well with with this spring courtier and was like, oh well, you know, and it, it left everyone going, should we trust him? Shouldn't we? I mean, he's kind of cool, but also he says really horrible stuff to us. But then there's other people that say even worse stuff, and you know, it, it's it's nice when you can get your players to be, if your players can work in that way, that they have multiple um, multiple commitments. To different groups, because then you can kind of sample all these different uh, social groups and really get a feel for who, what they're like. And I think you can do that in Dark Ages just as well. I mean, it's the same sort of stuff, really. Yeah, uh, agreed. And this is why um, using insightful uh, bits and pieces from your own experience and my own experiences allowing us to uh, talk about this. Now, um, uh, getting back uh, perhaps on a uh, on track i'd like to talk to you about say the modules that you've run through now okay uh, we had some uh fan feedback right at the very beginning and that was from a guy called mika and um, both me and adrian were very thankful from his feed uh, for his feedback and he was talking about basically the use of modules or what he could basically pick up and run for a new group now 
uh, I wrote back to uh, Mika and the reply I'm going to use for the uh, the kind of um, brief breakdown, uh, very uh, kind of um, a quick fire uh, is a look at the different modules. Now, the first one I'm going to look at is the Bitter Crusade. Okay. Um, now, this is basically a story set against the backdrop of the Fourth Crusade. It's set in three link stories, uh, uh, Venetian Knights, Fiendish Winters and Dying Embers. It takes the players from Venice to Constantinople uh, via Zara with the Crusading Army. Uh, each of the stories has its own unique feel and the battle against the, uh, the Shimsy Horde, including not one but two Vods or Vozards, depending on the Vod. uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, pronunciation. Now, uh, the Crusades are the thing that um, every non uh, even non-role players can uh, easily imagine that this idea that you know knights are traveling from Europe into the Holy Lands to reclaim things, this is something that you can use for, uh, like we said before, players that don't have a, a, a basis in the world of darkness. And um, there's uh, also uh, a lot of basically big fights in this that you could throw your players and uh, especially for novice players, give them something to beat up, which mm-hmm. is very easy to do in your first kind of uh, things but it also allows you because they can't travel to places like Constantinople to then build upon it um, now this book also closes uh, a very useful prologue and talks about how to link your chronicle to the Transylvania Chronicles which I'm going to talk about in a minute um, now what are your experiences with Bitter Crusade? Uh, it's quite great I mean each of those three stories in there are very um different i will try and remember what i can so venetian knights is uh, i think the best way to describe is a classic political kind of murder mystery Mm. um that takes place against the backdrop of venice and you know venice is critical to uh the fourth crusade um the background to it also being that the uh the current doge of venice at that time uh uh uh, I think it's Dan uh, Dandeli, or I, I can't remember. But um, he has a grudge to settle with Constantinople. He was blinded in mm. Constantinople and eventually returned to Venice, became Doge, and saw an opportunity to go, yeah, okay, we'll pay the money. Here's your ships. We'll take you to uh, to uh, Jerusalem uh, for Crusade. And it was like, well, we're going to go via Constantinople. Um, and yeah, that's, that's a really great little story. I think especially because... Um, you can really you could pad out that area because Venice is a culturally and historically rich city as it is that you could really pad out the run up to the formation of this crusading fleet. Um, mm. After all, you've got the the arsenal of Venice, where which was at the time essentially, um, you know, they turned out like a, a two ships a week. We're talking like warships a week. That's how good Venice was. Um, Fiendish Winter takes place in Zara and the burning of it. And mm-hmm. let me remember a bit of the plot. I think there was a there was another group of vampires that were worried about uh, the crusade going off after them. Uh, there's some crazy bits with um, some flesh-crafted creatures in a barn. Um, <laughs> that was amusing. And yeah, it, it involves the word oysterbrow. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's quite a lot to do with the um, uh, like uh, a shimmy uh, void, uh, void uh, yeah. basically um, uh, laying siege to to the uh, to the group, which is uh, an, again an interesting idea that you can pitch to new players. Um, and then um, dying uh, embers, I can't quite remember as well. 
Um, that's the, the kind of introduction into Constantinople, the, okay, kind of, uh, the ending of it that allows you to uh, expand into different bits and pieces. Um, um, I, I really liked uh, Bitter Crusade. Uh, it's fairly cheap to pick up. Um, if you like, you can then expand it into other bits and pieces. And uh, I think it's a great uh, beginning kind of uh, module that you can introduce to you know, uh, people that aren't used to the Dark Ages setting. Now, another great uh, in- introduction uh, kind of module is Under a Black Cross, uh, mm-hmm. which is again available from drive through RPG. Uh, set again against the backdrop of the Crusade, this time the fifth one. Uh, again, it's actually three linked stories, the Shadow Court, uh, Shadows of Court, uh, Ashes of Outermere, and the Call to Arms. The story takes place from uh, the group from Germany to Hungary to the Kingdom of Jerusalem, working for a true law, looking to uh, stake claims in the land of Hungary, and eventually seeking uh, the, true clo- uh, the, uh, the true cross in the Holy Land. It's a great storyteller chapter the back uh, of the book, uh, looking at uh, how to weave more into your story by suggesting several story seeds that can be developed into uh, a larger chronicle. Um, now, what's your experience with uh, Under a Black Cross? Uh, you'll have to, again, remind me about certain plot points. So, in the first one, um, it's almost like a gathering of, if I'm remembering, if the Germany, uh, where it starts in Germany, it's a gathering of different uh, princes and or, not, or vampire knightly orders and generally some arguments about what's going on. And again, courtly intrigue and, you know, again, not knowing who to trust and having to make some choices on that. I think at some point my character must have, like, put himself before, like, the, the vampire lord of who was in charge of it all and went, you know, and read him his fortunes or something crazy. Um, again, like I say, it's quite interesting. That I'm going back trying to remember this. This is all in these write-ups, that um, story write-ups uh, on this blog. So people that are interested in this, again, if they follow, if they go to the link we'll put in the show notes, they can actually read the stories as they as they've been written up as actual stories. And then if they want to run them, they can grab the module and run it properly. Um, the hungry part. Why do they go to hungry? I can't, I'm trying to remember. Why the hell do they go to hungry? Um, I think our characters went back to hungry via um, the, the the king Bodor uh, Bodor Toth that appears in the uh, fiendish winter because hungry is quite close to um, you know it's the Dalmatian coast and thus near to Venice and everything. Uh, the Jerusalem part again was I remember was a bit of nighttime jousting and again some political intrigue and stuff um yeah my memory's a bit flaky on it but again it i think it was quite good and was a good way of like you know, getting your characters all the way back to the east again um yeah yeah well uh, um, basically the uh, the idea is is it's, it's about the movement of the teutonic knights uh, mm. those knights who, who fought uh, literally under the black cross rather than the the normal red cross of uh, that you see on crusaders um, and that's to do with the, the kind of cleansing of like what they call the pagan lands in um, you know the uh, east you know hungary those kind of areas and basically bringing christianity to uh, shimsy lands yeah, um, and that's that's uh, that's a good kind of uh, uh, analogy of what, what basically the group's there uh, to do, and they're basically caught up in the venture, basically wanting to expand. 
Um, the whole thing where they go into Jerusalem, again, is because Jerusalem is, uh, for Vampires of the Dark Ages, for those who don't know, um, it, it, it's its own setting book. Um, quite a lot of these stories are tying you back into setting books, normally um, either Jerusalem or uh, Constantinople by night, which are both great. You should pick up either one of those or both because they're both great. Um, now, again... As I said before, uh, lots of these books are pointing towards other books. Some of them, uh, some of the modules, in my opinion, I think you really need these other books to back them up. Now, if you want to play the Transylvania Chronicles, I really think you need to pick up Transylvania by night to flesh that out. Um, now, I'm not advocating that you go out and spend uh, loads and loads of money and get these books come back to me and say, hey, my group didn't use this, my group didn't use that. This is the kind of stuff that you can pick up on PDF fairly cheaply. And skim it for what you want to use, uh, especially for Transylvania by night and the Transylvania Chronicles, because those like the Giovanni Chronicles are quite epic that you have to do a lot of work in between yourself to flesh out these the, the mere bare bones of an idea. And lots of these books, especially early World of Darkness books, you need to expand upon it yourself. Now, uh, I know, Chris, that you've got your own Venice setting out at the minute. Uh, have you ever had any experience in um, the old World of Darkness of basically fleshing out a system or in the new World of Darkness fleshing out a system that um, you've used uh, supplements to, to give you inspiration for? Um, yes. I mean, um, I mean the... the I mean, everything I've written in, in my own Venice setting book uh, really couldn't have been done without uh, relying on a, a, a large amount of everything from, um, which book is it, Lords of Summer for Changeling of the Lost, because obviously that has all about how courts work and, and other courts that exist in the setting. And that all helped me come up with the basis for the Court of Carnival, which is you pretty much unique to Venice. And I think for my Manchester setting, you know, a lot of that relies on... Um, on my use of uh, the Mythologies book for Vampire the Requiem, so that includes the Cult of Mithras, which we recently rewrote the rules for, um, uh, in Forgotten Law, whichever number, I think number one or number two. Um, no, I uh, think that's our Forgotten Law number two, mate. Yep. Yeah, and um, yeah, so I think, I think all these modules, I mean, there's a lot there to use, but also there's a lot of room to pad out, because a lot of these stories, a lot of the, the stories for the modules, there are like tens and tens and tens of years between. And so you don't have to run them all back to back. You can really, you know, insert extra stories or, or if you get tired of the characters seemingly traveling around a lot is just go, right, you're in this single city for now while your characters get more money to do what they want to do. Um, mm. Like I said, like with the, if you really wanted to get more into about Venice, um, you could easily do that. There's so much plot there to do. Um, with you know the doges, or you could go to Rome. I mean, you you only got to like you know have a have a look at how cool Rome would have been at the time. Um, I mean, Assassin's Creed Two Brotherhood is set mm. like is is set later than the Fourth Crusade because you're looking at Renaissance times, so you're looking at 1400s. But it really gives you a sense of the, the uh, what the city could have been like. The architecture maybe not as um, not as advanced, but it gives you an idea of the scale of what things would have been there, like the Colosseum would have still been there, and um, and various old ancient temples would have been there from Roman times. So, you know, and that means then you could easily go along and say, take uh, Requiem, uh, Requiem for Rome, and and use the the city map for that, and what information there is of Rome, 
uh, of the temples. And just to give you ideas of like what Rome would be for your Dark Ages game. Uh, for obviously Vampire yeah. the Dark Ages. So yeah, yeah, there's lots of stuff you can pad out and base stuff off. Yeah, uh, definitely. Like one idea that I was thinking about again this week is looking at uh, Maze the Sorcerer's Crusade. Now I'm glad you brought up Assassin's Creed because they're both set in the kind of Renaissance period. Yeah, aren't they? yeah. But, um, the, it, at the end of the Dark Ages, almost the, the re-enlightenment of the West to cultural things that, um, like say, the Muslim world has been uh, exposed to for hundreds of years. But anyway, um, using things like, say, um, uh, Mace Sorcerer's Crusade to continue your uh, Vampire the Dark Ages game into a new era by basically taking all the mage stuff and having a look at it and saying, OK, well, I can see how like uh, their influence in uh, science and humanity has then pushed the church perhaps to a back footing to allow science to come. And that then uh, the, the conflict between instead of paganism, uh, science and mm. you could set the seeds of that where your players, again, buying into that idea of coming to things from 20th century ideas or, like you said, uh, that interesting idea for uh, an Asamite that's a chemist or a, an, uh, uh, an alchemy kind of fellow, um, setting the, uh, the stage for this new kind of reimagining of things. And one thing that we did in uh, the Dark Ages campaign that I played in for a long time was a lot of blue booking. Yeah. Where, sorry, uh, you know, basically uh, taking downtime and say, okay, then between this adventure and this adventure is 50 years. What are you doing? I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to uh, cultivate my herd. I'm going to cultivate my contacts in the church. I'm going to do this. Allowing your storyteller to go away for then for uh, a while and say, okay, then, well, okay, Chris, you said you wanted to cultivate your contacts in the church. Here's this mini uh, kind of opening sequence to the next story that I'm going to do that fleshes that out for you and um, puts a bit of work in it for you and then gives you a reward that's almost instantaneous like uh, okay you could take uh, contacts too and have them as being clergy uh, that leads into an interesting say philosophical debate that then takes over say a cult or perverting some kind of a burgeoning church like say um like you were talking about before about the rise of Protestantism. Yeah, Protestantism, yeah. Basically, um, yeah, yeah. Um, your character could be involved in the rise of that and uh, influencing uh, that from a, a scientific point of view or from a, uh, an ecclesiastic point of view uh, that ties into these monumental events that we talked about in the um, chronicle design that's uh, trying to get your group involved in great events but uh, you can use history as a uh, as, as a springboard to get your characters buying into things like um, you know like uh, great great uh, ima- imaginative or uh, evocative ideas things like the Black Death. Yeah, the plague. I mean, plagues hit hit like again like yeah. Obviously, I take I take the Venice book because I I researched the damn out of that to write that. But yeah, like the plague during those times hit so so often and you know mm-hmm. totally you know killed. You know, a quarter to a third of the population of of major cities. Um, it's it's, and that would have a knock on effect to the vampires. And you could really take the idea, like out of Vampire the Requiem. You know, the the Morbus bloodline. They're uh, mm-hmm. a vampire bloodline that can manipulate disease and illness, and can only feed on people like that. You could really take that idea and put it into into um into 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 masquerade quite happily and see uh, how the plague errors were for like vampires 
could you imagine a vampire that got hold of that was diseased and how do you deal with it do you kill them on sight and or do you try and cure them um or is the plague a curse by god or something um Another thing I was going to say was uh, the other thing that happens in uh, within the Renaissance is the starting of of uh, of an actual banking system, and so you can really look at the birth of kind of like you're looking at the birth maybe of kind of like the modern form of like the Ventru and even say the Giovanni with uh, being mm. being involved in these new but will go on to be important uh, socio political groups. Like Venice had the first gyro yeah, bank, uh, and you've also got the printing press. Uh, that, definitely, uh, but those are all things that the group know are worth investing in because they come from a 20th century mindset. That yeah, yeah, say, yeah. Ah, yeah, 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 um, yeah. Uh, buying into that, um, there is in character and out of character information, and sometimes um, there's a blur between those two things. Let's face it. But yeah. playing into the hands of that is a great, it's a great idea. I couldn't agree more. That, like you say. Um, Having somebody that's, say, a Toreador that's uh, responsible for the birth of the printing press and then, say, the Bruchar then getting uh, their hands on it and then yeah. changing it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, that, that leads to their own downfall then in, say, like France. Yeah. Uh, and with the, the whole kind of French Revolution. Uh, but the, those are the, the kind of things that we're talking about here in these um, Dark Ages game. Uh, don't you feel that... If you're going to tell these stories, they tend to be quite sweeping, epic kind of things because mm. that's the kind of nature or the way that the that the game comes across. Even in these modules that we've talked about, especially like uh, the Transylvania Chronicles, have you had much experience with those? I've not played that series, no. Oh, oh, okay, well that's um, that's a real shame. Uh, people <laughs> yeah. can pick it up at. Uh, uh, t- uh, dry throw RPG. Um, I won't elaborate too much if Chris doesn't uh, know. You too can much, tell but, um, me what you want because I mean I'm open to knowing about it. And well, it's, um, it's a, in my mind, it's a great alternative for people that have got players in their group that turn to you and say, "Well, I've done the Giovanni Chronicles. What else are you going to throw at me?" Okay, then let's have a look at something else. Let's have a look at the Transylvania Chronicles. Let's have a look at uh, uh, running things from a, a different world point of view and from a different kind of perspective. Because uh, Transylvania at the time uh, is the rise of uh, things like uh, the Gargoyles, the Tremere, uh, the war between the Tremere and the Shimizy. Um Now, that gets developed upon in uh, Dark Ages Vampire into being the Omen War that's running before the, the, the War of the Princes. And that's something that's also in Vampire the Dark Ages that the, the usurpers basically burst onto the scene in uh, Vienna, I think. Now, that's smack in the heart of uh, Shimizy uh, country, and they're pretty cheesed off. Now, at the time, they're normally feuding with the Nosferatu and the Gangrel of the area. And uh, for, the, for once, they get to basically put aside their uh, differences because the Shimizy start u- uh, sorry, the Tremere start using bits and pieces of all of those three clans to create things like gargoyles. Mm. Um, uh, and a change of a political scene where you could say, OK, then uh, you all say uh, Shimizy, uh, Shimizy brood or affiliates of the Shimizy in this area. Now, remember that other clans exist in these uh, Voivod states as well, not just it's not just entirely Shimsy. There, yeah. there are other clans out there that are willing to work under the fiends or, you know, turn a blind eye to their brutality. Um, now, all these kind of things uh, uh, allow you to build upon this idea that uh, there's something else going on in the world in 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 an area that we can buy into the idea of. Uh, like Dracula is caught up in the whole of this kind of. Uh, Transylvania Chronicles, so Vlad Tepes, you know, this uh, kind mm. of uh, historical figure. Um, 
it's a great sweeping chronicle. Uh, and, and uh, okay, it, 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 it's in one. Uh, sorry, sorry, it's in four books, and you really need uh, Transylvania by Night to kind of flesh it out a bit. But you can pick up all of those on PDF mm-hmm. and uh, fairly cheaply, and, and run something that's quite alternative than, than the normal kind of Giovanni Chronicles. Like you get, you get a lot of people who say that they've played Giovanni Chronicles. Now Adrian's big uh, campaign that he talked about in the first few episodes of this uh, Darkling was all set in the. Uh, the Giovanni Chronicles, uh, spanning to the modern lights. But you could do the same thing for players who've gone through that once, but tell it from a different point of view to, to still allow them to buy into that sweeping storyline. Now, have you done anything like that, uh, something that led you to the modern lights, or was uh, your Dark Ages thing uh, something that rose and fell in the Dark Ages? Um, I think that that basically stayed as a Dark Ages game. We didn't really see how that went on into modern nights. Um yeah, there's nothing more I can really say on that. I mean, I think, um, what was I going to say then? I think when you say about sweeping stories, I think that comes across because also um, it's quite easy in the Dark Ages setting for your vampires to be quite powerful because it's easy it's easy to wield so much power over mortals and also because of the, they can be, they can feasibly be quite low generation. And you can really play these kind of quite epic, or you know, epic. When I say epic, they're either going to be epic characters or they're going to be tragically epic characters as they play through the downfall of their clan or bloodline. Um, mm. And I think Dark Ages set it, the Vampire the Dark Ages and the the, the books there really um, help you can can help you play those type of stories if you want, but equally. Many of the books, because they they um, they detail particular cities and so forth. You can really, if you want to play a, a much more tightly focused game on a particular city and a particular court, and your characters not be monumental figures in the rise and fall of different groups. Mm. Okay. Um, well, uh, we've spoken quite l- at length about it quite. Um kind of uh, metaphysical kind of stuff and uh, about uh, the kind of ideas behind things but one of the other things I wanted to talk about is uh, ways that you can actually put this into play now Adrian in our kind of show notes before he had to take a step back was talking about uh, a time that he passed around uh, for a particular kind of scene uh, a, a vial of vinegar that he encouraged his players to smell to get the, the sense of the smell of the place that they were in uh, as a use of a storytelling technique uh, now, that's something that I wanted to talk about for the Dark Ages, the use of things like, and I know things are a bit cliche, but things like candles or playing by a slightly darker light to to buy into this idea that um, this is not the age of the fluorescent bulb. Isn't playing you know, by a slightly is, darker uh, light a standard way of playing all world dinosaurs games? <laughs> Yeah, but uh, you, you, okay, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, perhaps perhaps buying some candles or some tea lights, and uh, you know, um, basically setting them up around your play uh, your table instead of playing by, you know, uh, I don't know, ultraviolet or something like that. You know. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah candles are pretty uh, much uh, standard to our um to playing um role play in general, but it worked really well for Dark Ages. Um, so yeah, dark lighting, well, darker lighting and candles really add to it. I mean, you can achieve quite a lot, as you said. You said he, he passed around like uh, vinegar. So again, you know, if you really wanted to go the whole hog with it, I mean, 
like think what kind of things could you do? I mean, there's always like, you know, you can get the the if you 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 get hold of various spices and like you know mold wine can help in that sense. It can give quite a, a right kind of feeling. Um, or uh, obviously, um, you know, depending upon how fancy you want to be, there's always the classic scented candles for particular for if it makes if the game is set in a particular place. If there's something that kind of works for that, I guess you could do that. Um, other things to do to really set the scene. Well, before we get onto music, because that's a whole big area. Um, other things I did was I... like, uh, so my character had his own journal. So okay, my Malkavian, um, his uh, his his madness, his main flaw was that he was an obsessive compulsive, and he had to write his journal entry before the sun rose each each night or else he would be frantic and then be quite mad the following night. Um, and I took to doing an in-character journal whenever I could, like when there was a down moment, writing his ideas down, or kind of like, I, I don't, I know shit about music, but I make, I wrote some stuff that looked like his own sheet music. And um, and my storyteller looked at it and went, that is quite the most insane amount of writing I've ever seen. Like I literally, like he he could write read some of it and not read other bits of it, and even I after a while couldn't read it because it was just like complete madness. Um, but it really did help to get the idea of the character's like mind mindset and and uh, his view on different people or on his philosophy of of his unlife. Um, so obviously that can really help. Is like physical items like that even maps of uh you know if you can print off and i know it's a typical tea staining thing but like a map of of the area at that time can be really quite informative when you realize that certain cities just didn't exist then or different or how different the borders were um yeah any other things that you've used i mean obviously you could go whole hog and dress up yeah, well, definitely. Um, that's uh, that's when you perhaps start looking at uh, perhaps running in a LARP rather than a tabletop thing. But uh, uh, one thing that we did uh, a couple of times uh, for both uh, a kind of uh, a Henyokai kind of campaign and the Dark Ages thing is put on some different food. And we had like what was basically a medieval uh, evening meal for like a peasant, which is some um, some very kind of grainy kind of thing, some fruit, some cheese, and some other bits and pieces. That was like a, a medieval kind of thing instead of our normal pizza and crisps. Yeah. Um, to kind of get us into that kind of idea uh, again, that's something that. Um, it kind of worked, I thought, especially for the kind of far eastern thing, because it really set the mood for the rest of the evening. But also, it kind of got you into this idea that, you know, like peasants weren't eating a lot and that uh, your normal like, oh, you eat meat with every meal because that's what we do. No, they didn't eat meat all the time. And if you ate a lot of meat, it's because you were fairly rich. And things like, um, you know, religious belief that you eat fish on Friday is a big deal as well. Yeah. Um, uh, to, to kind of get get your idea into things like customs. Now, um Cheese would be good. You'll get across if your game was set in France at the time. It'd be awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no isms, no isms, mate. Uh, okay, so um, now you wanted to speak uh, a bit about music because that's one of the big things that you were talking about when we were talking in uh, the emails in the beginning of the week. Yeah. Uh, what's your ex- yeah? 
Um, okay, so, okay, um, from what I've said on any other Dark Days, it's like, music, to me, has always been a big thing in my own games, um, and it's always been good when I've um, met, when I originally got into the uh, that dark, into that new roleplay group and thus into playing uh, Vampire the Dark Ages, was like, oh, right, you do playlists too, and it's like, good, we're all on the same kind of, like, playing field with this, like, music is critical to having like a really good gaming experience so and the music really covers quite a diverse range i mean when you've got a bunch of of alternative goth type role players they're going to listen to you know you're going to be listening to a lot of music that just isn't in the mainstream and there's a lot of good stuff that works for Dark Ages, or for Renaissance, or for to really give that feel. You know, you want to get away from the, the electronics, and um, and some of the stuff I, I've got in some playlists that I've got on Spotify. So again, I'll link those. So um, I would say, even though it's for a different time period, like you know, it's it's music for a game that's set in the Renaissance. Um, the I would, but I think you can. But some of the music is actually for um, the first game in the series. So the Assassin's Creed series of games. Assassin's Creed 1 is set during the Crusades. Assassin's Creed 2 is set during the Renaissance. The scores for all the games of Assassin's Creed, Assassin's Creed 2, Brotherhood and Revelations are perfect. Uh, Essentially because the, the instruments that are used to create music didn't really change much between the crusading period and the renaissance really so it gives the right feel so um uh you can find these there by jessica you can look them up on spotify or last fm uh revelations the soundtrack for assassin's creed revelations is really good because of course it uh that game is set in constantinople so you get really a lot more of that uh, eastern vibe um right i'm trying to look through uh the rest of the playlist here if i look at my um if I look at my Changeling the Lost soundtrack, where I find it, that's my Vampire the Requiem where Changeling the Lost Venice, um, I would suggest uh, bands like Arcana, who do some very good kind of classic uh, alternative gothic dark music that fits that kind of theme. Uh, another band called Hecate are quite good. They have some really good, uh, really mad songs. Um, uh, let's see who else is on this list. Um, uh, and also, there's a there's a collection of music called uh, I think it's called The Last Rites. Uh, again, I'll try and find the link to it or the name of it and put it in the show notes. But again, that co- that collects a lot of these kind of like ambient uh, or or um, how can you say medieval gothic bands that do music of that style and they make use of like instruments like the hurdy-gurdy um what else have i got on my iron kingdom soundtrack that might be of use um ooh. obviously if you're going to do something that's set in the renaissance i know a bit later but obviously you can't go wrong with a bit of vivaldi um but you know there's a lot you can do to just choose music that has the right feel to it um the prince of persia signs the time film uh, the soundtrack so that's really great, and again, if you want to get more of a uh, an Eastern, you know, Middle Eastern Persian feel to the soundtrack, um, 
So that works quite well. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, what other bands would you suggest or soundtracks? Oh, Kingdom of Heaven. Can't forget Kingdom of Heaven. That works really well. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you took the words literally right out of my mouth there. Um, um, these are soundtracks and um, bits and pieces that I was going to draw on, uh, uh, perhaps not from uh, the, the kind of goth EBM kind of world. That uh, I know that, uh, I, that that's the kind of music I listen to as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, but I realise that for a lot of people, uh, you're not going to want to listen to it because it's not your cup of tea. But things like film soundtracks, like you say, Kingdom of Heaven, uh, In the Name of the Rose, um, and also, if you uh, if you if you know the movie The, the Pit and the Pendulum, um, and things like um, uh, Hammer Horror kind of things that are set in this era that are, like you say, slightly out of era, but are still using the same kind of um, instruments, things like mandolins instead of guitars, things like um, you know harpsichords, those kind of things that allow you to uh, listen with that ear that you, you could probably put like a lot of early. Uh, um, perhaps Tudor music in the Dark Ages and it wouldn't make much difference to uh, a modern ear uh, especially like if it speaks to you uh, that's the big thing that I wanted to say about music is um, sometimes you just got to go with the flow That if it's a piece of music that really sits with you that's right that perhaps uh, allows you to get across what you want to do and it doesn't quite fit in with this well certain movies nowadays use, make use of uh, songs uh, uh, that are out of time so to speak. Mm. Um, like if, you, if you've ever seen the movie uh, Sucker Punch, yeah, there's a whole a bunch of um, uh, kind of action sequences to that, to uh, remixes of songs uh, that are perhaps not the images that you're seeing. Like there's a big fight at the beginning that's set to Bjork's uh, Army of Me that's against kind of giant uh, Japanese kind of samurai things. That, you know, your first kind of thought would be to perhaps play something that's oriental in theme, but something like uh, Army of Me that's to a modern ear quite uh, driving uh, lends itself well to that scene. So there's mm-hmm. not to say that you needn't just pick up things that are like, you know, like Gregorian chants and things like this. They have their place. Uh, they have they, their uh, place, you, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If they're used right, that's great. Um, but there's nothing wrong with using a uh, a modern song like, I don't know, like, um, like perhaps even some uh, Led Zeppelin or something like that, something that's a bit more uh, orchestral, uh, but rocky. Um, or do you understand what I mean? And not just yeah. basically uh, uh, tie yourself to a certain kind of music. Yeah, I mean, um, um, I would say oh, I'm trying to think. Like, um, uh, so I mean, like, just to give an example. So it's it's a different game, but like, so Iron Kingdoms is a which we did in a dark ring. Um, the settings for that is kind of like is very much meant to be a reflection of like uh just before like the industrial revolution and has a very um how can you say uh, napoleonic feel to it so the soundtrack i've kind of thrown together for that consists of like assassin's creed soundtracks obviously because running over roofs is really fun and i'm gonna let people do that in a roleplay game but also um stuff from like the batman arkham city soundtrack because that video game score has got um very gothic tones to it or um, Pirates of the Caribbean soundtracks because you can't, I just can't get enough of Hans Zimmer um, and you know The Dark Knight Rises and actually anything to do with the, the Nolan vs. Batman series, all those scores are awesome and have you know, 
kind of that because they use quite a lot of drums and uh, and pounding like that uh, give kind of the right high notes and and drama without being too modern um uh, yeah, I guess um, you could, I guess uh, you could uh, even use um what the Inception soundtrack to a Dark Ages game. Um yeah. <laughs> Hello. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, something went wrong there. Oh, anyway. Uh, 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 okay. Um, uh, this is again, like I said, uh, choosing music that speaks to you. Now, uh, one thing that I've done uh, in my uh, current uh, game is tie um, all the kind of elders that really kind of uh, uh, are involved in the kind of major plot into uh, remixes of one song. In the um, current uh, Sabbath thing that I'm going to be running for my group, um, the, 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 meta, uh, the metamorphosis of Vorshazer, I'm going to be tying, like I said, to, into the the Womp Cut song. Now, um, now uh, I'm sure Chris knows this, but uh, Womp Cut uh, do a lot of remixes of their songs, normally by other bands, which gives them a quite different feel to each one of their songs. Uh, but it's still essentially the same. Now, I'm going to tap into this idea that it's the same character that they're dealing with, but then uh, the remixes denote an, a change in perhaps the political structure, the change in the story, the change in perception of things. That Then using music to reinforce that, um, what I was also going to do is all this brood, I was also going to use different remixes as well. So when his music changes, their music changes to denote that it's like a, a, a change of mood in the, the, the kind of shimmy camp. Uh, that is a great way for your, your players to buy into the idea that something's different without coming out and saying that something's different. Because um, uh, most people's ears are quite attuned to music and can, can sense that it's still the same song but slightly different. And then when you start describing how your NPCs are going to act uh, and stuff like that, it can uh, allow you to show that change, especially for like uh, clans like the Shimmersy, or uh, to show a change in, like I said, political uh, cha- uh, change that you have, say, a, a weak version of a song or a mild version of a song, and then a, a bigger or a more brazen version of the song that somebody who was a low down in power that then takes takes power you have a brazen version of their song that the, when they do take power it's the same song but much bigger much brighter like their character is taking much more of a, a kind of a, a center stage in your story so the song then backs that up mm-hmm. uh, and that's 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 what i wanted to tap into with this use of music um and, and things like tying scenes together by using the same kind of music. Like, uh, I know it's perhaps a bit cliched again, but if you look at, say, uh, um, the Star Wars movies, you only need to hear a kind of, especially in the uh, episode four, five and six, uh, a, a, a little kind of couple of bars of the, you know, the Imperial March, and mm-hmm. Darth Vader's music. And you know it's about Darth Vader, you know, uh, or the dark side or something dark has gone on you know uh, that resonates through that movie that once you hear it and you look for it you can see how many times they use the imperial march uh, than when something dark is happening or when uh, you know uh, especially like the, uh, the the outro music to the uh, the empire strikes back that's kind of all all kind of tied into it that you group then picks up on that uh, this is to do with this character in a very subtle way and then leads them uh, perhaps by the nose Perhaps uh, without laying too many clues on the uh, on the floor, they can still get the sense of ah, this is this guy because his music's playing within reason, but not so cliched as that. Yeah, um, I I tend to not cue up music 
at particular times in my game. I generally have a mm. three-hour soundtrack that's split into three sections because generally I, I, I guess that my game will undulate in tone um, and I just hope the soundtrack kind of queues up at the right moment. But, I mean, well, yeah, yeah, you can queue up, and it's it's quite easy to queue up music these days. It's not like you have to mess around with, oh, I've got to put another CD in, or something, or change the tape over. We actually have, like, I'll just hit that track on Spotify, and yeah, boom, yeah. you've got it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, um, like, for my current uh, Vampire, the uh, Masquerade setting, uh, there's a song by a group called um, Nachtmare, called Firefry. That's oh, yeah, yeah. Low. Yeah, it's got that long kind of air air raid siren, uh, and that's to do with a group of anarchs. Every time they turn up, I play that song. I make sure uh, I play that song to the point now that as soon as that kind of siren starts playing, my group is just like, "Oh, we're going for guns. We're think, using our powers. Where are they? Where are they?" But it sets the scene before you even get there. That, you I think. Know, uh, um, I think Sam. Um, I think I have to confirm with her now. Sam, did you give your vampire character a? Um, did you pick out a? A song track that was iconic of him. Yeah, yeah. I can't rem- quite remember. He had a full soundtrack for a character, yeah. It was brilliant. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, even players can do it. And, you know, again, that really adds to yeah, exactly. investment in the, uh, in the game. Yeah, I mean, if, if if your player comes to you and says, uh, you know, uh, I really want to kill the prince of the city, and I want to do it to this music. <laughs> yeah. Hey, yeah, yeah. Hey, if if if, yeah. if they want to tell you what they want to do, in my opinion, as a storyteller, let your players do exactly what they want to do, but take them there in an interesting way, in the same way that you know, like in uh, the old Twilight Zone kind of episodes, the devil will turn up and say, oh, you can have what you want. You ask for it, he gives it you, but in a way that you weren't expecting. Mm. that makes it so like oh you know you killed the prince because the prince turned out to be a barley agent and all his barley mates are going to turn up and kill everyone but you've killed him too late but you do it to your piece of music and you got exactly what you wanted but how we got there isn't exactly yeah. what you wanted you know uh, as an interesting narrative for both of you okay mm. um right have we got anything more we need to talk about there Steve <laughs> I'm just looking well, at um, the show notes I just said uh, I just say that um, if uh, anybody thinks uh, we've missed anything that they've used in their own chronicles that has worked out quite well to set the scene for being a dark age, be a piece of music, a prop, whatever, um, I'm, uh, I'd love to hear about it. And if they'd like to come over to our new Google Plus community page, which I believe has gone up just this week, isn't it, Chris? Oh, yeah. Google Google has been uh, – we've been, like, hammering at that place. So, um, yeah, Google Plus community is already more active than the Facebook page we had and already more active than our posturous group. Um, the posturous blog we'll still be using to blog because, obviously, it's just easier for dissemination, but the community is going to be the main place to uh, get in get hold of us and to chat about things um, so we've got some members on there but obviously more is better and guess what we actually have members who are shock horror I think they're actually writers as well so you know you can obviously uh, put questions forward there and even direct them at particular writers who are already members of the group um, so, yeah, that's the best place to get hold of us. Um, any other questions or if they want to email us, they can, of course, email us at darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. Uh, of course, we have a Facebook page still, and we have a Twitter, 
which we just about use. Um, but I would seriously say just go to the Google Plus community. <laughs> For simplicity, it means we don't need to check too many places. Um, and is there anything else we need to say, Steve? Or um, that's, is that all the contact details? Obviously, I'd only just like to... Yeah, go for it. I'd just like to add to that that if um, uh, I've plugged a few modules in this with Chris tonight, that uh, if you do decide to go to Drive Through RPG and download some of these books or get them print on demand, which I believe quite a few of them becoming available now, you remember good old uh, Darker Days Radio and use our uh, um, uh, code ID. That gives us yeah. Yeah, um, which um, I'm sure Chris can chuck up in the uh, show notes so we get a bit of a kickback. So uh, you get something out of us telling about something quite cool. Yeah, I mean, I will do that. Uh, so a lot of these things I'll link up on the show notes, like uh, the direct links to the um, to the supplements and put in the affiliate ID uh, because you know, we're actually getting a bit of credit through Drive for RPG, which means we can buy some prizes. Um also, uh, we also have to again thank Adrian for all his previous work on this series and to and his work on Forgotten Laws. He will not be forgotten. And yeah, will be sincerely missed. No, definitely not. He's a uh, a man of erudition and a great uh, person has taken a step back from the community. I wish him well with his uh, PhD hmm. and uh, hope that everything works out. That uh, he's going to come back. Uh, renewed and invigorated and ready to uh, flood us with some more of his great insights into the games. You'll be missed, man. And, of course, we're going to, I guess, the next one in this series, which I guess is maybe the last in the short term, um, because obviously there's only so much content we can cover, and while we try and get some more ideas and stuff. Um, what are we going to be looking at, Steve, on the next uh, uh, Dark Ages one? We're going to be looking at how you can port uh, the Dark Ages setting over into your Requiem game. Now, this is a cr- idea that Chris has come to that uh, I'm really buying into. I've picked up the Inviticus and the Lankia Sanctum books uh, after he posted some uh, information up on Google Docs. Uh, uh, that's literally like taking this game setting and using it in your re- Requiem setting. Uh, and hey, why not? Uh, Chris is uh, a well-renowned uh, expert in the New World of Dark and I'm looking forward to uh, sharing some insights into this uh, interesting take on the New World of Darkness uh, Requiem game. Yeah, I think basically we'll, we'll go through. Um, I think we'll go through all the important points that are within the Requiem setting, which are mentioned in relation to this period of time, and mm-hmm. basically just try and you know think as hard as we can about oh well that bit could be supported if you use that particular Dark Ages book and just take that information and it would help you pad out that part in the rec room setting. So it should be really interesting. I mean, um, yeah, it should be good, good fun and good to look at and uh, you, you never know, that might lead to White Wolf well, you know, on its path she going, hey, we should do this for Requiem. I mean, if they do that, they need to give us something in return. You heard us, Richard Thomas. We're out for you. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with my name in the books. I'm happy <laughs> with my name in the books yeah. when I kickstart. That, that's enough for me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, I think that wraps up the show for this evening, Chris. I'd like to just say thanks for very much for coming on board and uh, sharing some of your insights into your storytelling uh, in the Dark Ages. Uh, uh, I'm Vergast, otherwise known as Steve, and I'm signing off. 
and this is Chris Simonoff, and it's been a pleasure to go through all this with you, Steve. So, goodbye.